ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Hey, Stephen Holder here with Zach Kiefer. We're back. Another episode of 1% Better. It's uh, an interesting time in the NFL. Uh, I know there's always a lot of anticipation this time of year you know, for free agency. That's coming up next week. Uh, a lot of anticipation for you know what moves uh, everyone's favorite team is going to make. And <laughs> it really seems like right now the, the moves are cuts. <laughs> everyone's yes. getting cut in the NFL. <laughs> so it's a weird time, man. Uh, COVID is, is given its last stand here on the NFL because really this what this is all about. This is a, a result of last year's decreased revenues. We're looking at a a salary cap of what 182 million dollars man so that's uh, uh it's down almost 10% from last year that's crazy it's so, it's such a different approach for these teams right now and talking to some yeah. people around the league they, they're all just trimming they're just trying to squeeze down and i mean look at this number the the texans have cut 9 players since february 1st the broncos crazy. have cut 8 the Raiders have cut seven. The Colts have cut zero. Now, you're not the only team in the league to have cut zero, but this is something I got into in my story that'll come out next week on the first day of free agency. Is this is what happens when you make pretty good deals in free agency and those guys play out the duration of those contracts? Um, Colts haven't had to do a lot of trimming the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and and then in addition to that, when you don't cut guys and i'm talking in previous years here you also don't have dead money on your cap so uh, they they've given themselves every chance to survive this now this was never their intent like hey you know there might be a pandemic one day so we should be smart with our money but no it, it just was fortuitous that a couple of things number one i talked about this with someone in the organization uh the first few years of the new regime well, the first couple of years, they didn't really have a lot of players to invest in. So the payroll was low yeah. <laughs> because the talent wasn't good. Right. So there's that. And then once they did start to acquire guys, you know, they have, as you know, they've paid their own. Uh, they have stayed away from long-term uh, free agent deals. They have signed free agents. People forget. But, but they haven't signed the big guys with the big signing bonuses that bog down your cap. When you backload those contracts, those are the ones that get you in a dicey situation. The Colts don't have any of those. So, um, I mean, I look at what they've done. Like, Danico Autry is such a great example. He's going to be in free agency this year. But three years, $17.8 million, I think, uh, three years ago, he played out the whole thing. He gave him 20-plus sacks. I mean... That's a great deal. <laughs> That's the perfect signing. You can you can yeah. go down the list. I mean, Eric Ebron, for everything that happened in year two, yes. he played out the duration of his deal. Well, he was supposed to. Um, <laughs> well, no, Zach, the semantics. I can't get on that tangent right now. I'll move into <laughs> Justin Houston, two years, 24, right? I mean, yeah. I'm going down the list, and, and, and the guys they have paid in free agency, the outside guys, it almost always – ends in a situation where that guy plays the duration of his deal. Autry is a perfect example. That is value. And remember, that was the first signing they made that year, and everyone was freaking out. Who is this guy? Why are they signing this guy? Why aren't they getting after a bigger name? That was a value signing. And I would expect the Colts to stick with that philosophy as we get into next week. Yeah, no question about that. Um, I I do think that this is going to be an interesting year. (coughs) And 
you know, we just talked about how the the market is different. It's going to be different. There's no question about it. Uh, they have we have a condensed situation in terms of payroll here, in terms of salary cap dollars, available salary cap dollars. There's not that many. There's not that much of it. Excuse me. So you're going to have a situation where I think it's going to affect players' markets. It has to. There's no question about it. I mean, teams are just trying to get into the salary cap. So where's all this money going to come from to pay these guys, you know, $20 million a year? It's not going to be there in my estimation. So what, where I I think that's interesting is how it affects the Colts. And I don't know the answer yet, but I think they could be a factor potentially because what is Chris Ballard always looking for? He, he's always looking for that. Not I, I use the word bargain, but not because the guy's not good. He's looking for value. I think you said it best. He's looking for value in free agency, which is a really hard thing to find because free agency is all about overpaying. But he's looking for value. This is a year you might be able to find it. <laughs> you might actually get value in free agency. And I'm all for players getting paid. Yeah. But this ain't the year for that. So look at all the talent hitting the, hitting the street in a sense over the last couple of weeks. All these teams are not going to have the money the Colts have. I think they're fourth right now with 47 million to spend. And remember what Ballard said. This has stuck with me from years ago. I think this was right after he took over. He said, "Look, this is what free agency is." It's where B players get A money. It's where C players get B money. When's they? When have they gone out and signed an A player in free agency? And Buckner doesn't count because that was a trade. They just haven't done it. And and if you go back to seventeen, they made a lot of moves in seventeen because they needed to re, retool the defense. But since then, since Frank took over in eighteen and they shifted to the four three scheme, they've been very measured in their approach. And this is something I hit on in my story. And this is a tell for next week. Where does the money go, right? Where does most of the money that Chris Ballard spends, where does it go? It goes to the trenches. It goes to the offensive line and the defensive line. I've got the numbers if you want them. Jabal Shear, John Hankins, those were $25 and $30 million deals. They paid Justin Houston $24 million. They paid Autry, like you said, $17 million. They paid Buckner last year, the biggest deal Ballard has given out as GM, $84 million. The extensions he's given out. He gave Costanzo $33 million over two years last year. Ryan Kelly got $50 million. Glowinski got money, right? This is where he thinks he can win. This is a quote from him in January. Ballard said, I believe in my soul. That's where you win. So don't lose sight of that. I'm not saying they don't attack tight end or receiver and they got to do something at pass rush. But this is how they're always going to think. They're always going to think about the trenches and the O-line and the D-line. So uh, the smart fans out there know um, that's going to be the focus. Yeah, and, and I think it's interesting. I mean, just look at how the Colts have handled, you know, the skill positions in free agency. It's been kind of a joke, <laughs> okay? So, yeah. I mean, look at last year. I mean, around this time last year they signed, or a little bit later, they signed Xavier Rhodes, and I rolled my eyes. Like, you've got to be kidding me. And that was late in free agency, it, if it I remember. Was. Yeah, it was. You know, he was well after the first wave, and – and we were sitting here wondering, like, well, I guess they're drafting a corner with their first pick. And so they ended up doing that. And it actually worked out great. Now, I guess what my point, though, is, you know, they certainly didn't go out there and, and get a, a corner at the top of the market. They've never done it at corner. They've never done it at wide receiver. Uh, certainly not, you know, anywhere like running back. Uh, I think even the Ebron signing, he was he was obviously cut. He wasn't a free agent. 
in the traditional sense, but uh, he was not a guy that got you know ridiculous money. I thought that was very, I thought that was a very reasonable contract he got. So yeah, I mean, I, I just think the treatment in free agency by the Colts of skill positions versus you know the guys closer to the football is completely different night and day there's no question about it and and it just reinforces everything you said about about their philosophy so if you're a listener i think and you're a fan of this team let that be your guiding light in terms of your expectations it has nothing to do with whether I agree or what I think or what, I don't care. <laughs> I'm just telling you that's what it is. And I think Zach laid it out perfectly. So um, I'd forgotten about Jabal Sheard, actually. I, j- I jotted down some. I'm glad you brought him up because he's another one just like Danico Autry. Same exactly. Thing. So uh, now let's talk a little bit about, about where they're at. They've got a ton of free agents in-house. Now, some of these guys have had – a lot of good moments for this team too. And so I, I think we, at least based on social media, it seems like people are kind of glossing over the, you know, the in-house free agents. Now I, it's possible none of them come back, but I do think these are, these are guys worth addressing. And I think that they're, they're guys who are still viable players in some case. And that being said, nothing is happening with any of them. Isn't, <laughs> it's very isn't interesting. that surprising? Yeah, I mean... A little bit. A little bit. You reported today that nothing on Autry's front, nothing on Xavier Rhodes' front. I basically have reported that I'm not going to see any... We're not going to see any deals before Monday. None of these guys, and that includes T.Y. Hilton, are going to get an extension. I think the Colts' approach is twofold here. It's always going to be patience and and kind of setting a value and sticking with it. We know that, right? But secondly, this is a weird year, and we need to remember that. And they want to see where the market's at because it could be different. And I don't think they're going to overpay or really put themselves in a too aggressive position ahead of the market opening on Monday to where they overpay a guy. So we're not going to see anything until Monday. And they're going to let these guys go out and talk to other teams. That includes Houston. That includes Hilton. That includes Autry, uh, Marla Mack, Anthony Walker, Malik Hooker. I mean, all these guys. And like you said, if those guys get more off, more money elsewhere, you know, that could be that could be their ticket. They could be out. They could be gone. And, you know, in the Colts' defense, I actually think this this might be what they have to do because it is a weird year. Like, yeah. how do you know what the market is for a guy? How do you know what the price is? Because what would have been the price under normal circumstances, you know, teams were expecting the cap to be somewhere in the ballpark of like $208 million. It's now $182 million per team. It's so think totally about that. different, right? Yeah, that's a totally different world. You're talking about $25, $30 million difference there. Uh, so when you're operating in that environment, how you determine what a guy is worth on the open market is anybody's guess. You know, And the last thing you want to do as, as someone who's got a fiduciary responsibility with the team is, is overpay. And you might just overpay right now if you don't establish or let the market establish itself. I, I think that's going to be – I think it's hard, and, and I understand why they're doing it. Now, if you're T.Y. Hilton, you're probably thinking, this is insulting. <laughs> but at the same time, I get it, you know. I, and he didn't say that. That's me saying that. But, you know, we, do, we you have seen a couple of little hints from T.Y., by the way, on – on Twitter, which is interesting. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I want to get your take on that. And, and this, this goes back to something I chatted with Ryan Kelly with last summer. Remember, it was middle of the pandemic, mm-hmm. and I knew he was 
a guy who wanted an extension. And I said, where are you guys at with that? And he said, you know, it's a really shitty year to be trying to get a contract extension. Yeah. And that's really the yeah. reality. And that's where these players are at. That's where their agents are at. And now Ryan Kelly got his deal, and he deservedly so. You know, four years, $50 million. But it's a tough time for T.Y. Hilton because the salary cap yep. squeeze, right? And, and that's going to be different. Although in his favor, a couple of the big names went off the market yesterday. And Allen Robinson's not going to be out there. Chris Godwin's not going to be out there. And T.Y. is going to be one of the more proven veteran wide receiver targets on the market. We'll see what happens. He's never been a free agent. What is your prediction on this? It's hard to mm. really get a sense of where it's going to go. I, I, I feel like it's 50-50. I do, I, and I know that's a cop-out answer, but I, I really do. I think it could go either way. And here's the reality, and I've tried to get some some background on this from talking to people this week. And uh, first of all, there's, there's nothing imminent, that, that I can tell you. So that is 100% true, first of all, number one. Number, one. number two, um, I also tried to get some sense, because this is a very big question for me. How long does T.Y. want to play? And that was unclear. I don't know that that he has truly communicated that either. So that's another level of complexity that needs to get discussed because that determines, you know, whether you sign him for two years, three years, one year, two year, three. I don't know. But remember what he said last May when he said he uh-huh. wanted to finish as a Colt. I think he said, I want to be, you know, whatever my last contract is, is, is going to be the next one, two, three or four years. That's the number he threw out then. That's a big difference, right? Two years is a huge oh, difference sure. between two and four. Yeah, that that impacts how you structure the contract. It impacts how much upfront money. It impacts a lot of things. So, so he's got to be clear about that. And and I don't know that he has been. So he has to be clear about that. And and obviously, I think once he knows the Colts' intentions, maybe that clarifies the length of the contract in his mind a little more. Maybe I don't know. But um, anyway, your question is, you know, how is that going to end? I, I I will tell you this. I think he's going to have a decent market. It's impacted, obviously, by the situation. If this were a regular year, I think he would have a pretty robust market and could get paid. Uh, it, it's going to. There's no question he's going to be impacted because everybody's going to be impacted by the lowered salary cap. However, you already mentioned. I think two big guys off the market under the salary cap that helps. Right now, I think his biggest competition out there is probably you know a guy like Kenny Galladay and a couple other guys. I, I don't think that this is like a fantastic uh, wide receiver class. It's, it's okay. So he, he's going to have that going for him. His tape isn't bad if you really watch it. So I think he's got some things going for him there. Uh, the, the question is going to be, again, what's the market? What's the need out there? And, and do the Colts see him in a similar light to what other teams are willing to offer. Now, let me ask you this. With uh, with a guy like T.Y. Hilton, you know, we talked about not wanting to overpay. And I agree with that. If they indeed do want to keep T.Y., because of who he is and what he's done and, and where he kind of factors in franchise history, do you... Are, are you more comfortable overpaying a little for a guy like that? Is there is there an upcharge a little bit for a guy like that just to do you know just because of who he is or no? I mean, is he going to get the same treatment as just you know some random dude in year four? No, How's that work? He's not, and, and I wouldn't usually say this, but I'll make an exception for Ty for a couple of reasons. One, the tape is the tape, and that's what they're going to go off of, and he can still play. He can still be a downfield vertical threat. He can still make the catches over the middle. 
two, there is a value in keeping T.Y. Hilton with Carson Wentz coming in. And I believe this very strongly. He's the veteran guy that can bridge the next generation. And I saw it with Reggie Wayne and Andrew Luck. and know the situations aren't identical, but having a veteran receiver in the building with a new quarterback coming in looking to prove something. In that case, Andrew Luck was looking to start his career and, and take over for Peyton Manning. Not an easy thing to do. In this situation, Carson Wentz is looking to restart his career after the worst football he's ever played. Having T.Y. here matters, and that would help him a lot. And T.Y. Is, is a team guy, and we've seen this and we've said this. I mean, last year there were stretches where he wasn't getting his touches, and he wasn't playing well. And what did he do? He kept his mouth shut, he worked, and then he produced late in December, and he had – about five games where he was averaging 80 yards a game and, and he had five or six touchdowns in that stretch. So he played some good football. He's not the T.Y. Hilton from 13 or 14, but this guy can still play. And number two, I don't necessarily think the Colts are going to go out and shell out $15 million for another receiver. They can't do that and keep T.Y. So there's a lot of things working in T.Y.'s favor. And I go back to the previous two situations like this in recent Colts memory. They're not identical, but they're but they're important to think about, right? They wanted Marvin Harrison to take a pay cut in 2008. He said no, and he retired, right? This is Marvin Harrison, one of the best to ever do it. Um, he was 36 years old, I think. They did the same with Reggie Wayne, where it was like, you know what, Reggie? Like, I don't think we're going to bring you back. And Ursay flew to his house in Miami and told him the news. I think Reggie was 35. He was done, mm-hmm. and the Colts moved on, hard as it was. This is not that. T.Y. is is 31, and he can still play. So I still think like a two-year deal, maybe with 10 guaranteed, 18 total. Maybe T.Y. wants three years for 24. We'll see what the market tells him. You work it out. Right, exactly. Yeah, and don't you think like if there's one guy you're willing to budge on a little bit, it's T.Y. Hilton because of everything I laid out? I, I do. I think you hit on all the relevant points. And and I know it's easy for fans. There, there seems like there's a split with fans. And I, I hate to like make these sweeping statements because I don't know. There's no way to really know. But I'm just going by the feedback that I get. It feels like there's a there's a pretty good split, right? And, you know, there's one half that's like sentimental about it. And like, you know, we love T.Y. He's still a good player. Bring him back. Then there's another half that's like, ah, he's, he's washed up. Let's get somebody else. Here's the thing, okay, you they do need somebody else if they if Ty walks because let me be clear, I don't feel great about this receiving core without Ty Hilton. Yeah, so exactly. That's fine if you if he walks if they let him walk I don't have a problem either way. I'm just saying d- let's not pretend like all right we're good. No, they are not good. <laughs> all right, you got Michael Pittman who was frankly a beneficiary of Ty Hilton's play. And then you've got Paris Campbell. Okay, I don't need to tell you the situation there. Um, are we are we going to be betting um, our mortgage on on Paris Campbell as much as I love the guy? Uh, no, right. So, and, and then after that, you've got all right. Zach Pascal, nice player. Um, is is he a number one receiver all of a sudden? <laughs> and I, I don't remember, know. <laughs> Zach Pascal's restricted, so he's he's going to come back, I think. But right. again, they need to go out and make that happen. And like right. you kind of hinted at, they've skimmed at wide receiver for years. Mm-hmm. You know, they've drafted Campbell, they've drafted Pittman, but they went out and signed guys like Ryan Grant, who didn't do much. They drafted, went out and signed Funches, who by no fault of his own or the team's own, only played one game. 
You know, they've right. they've re-signed Marcus Johnson twenty five times. Um, <laughs> they they need to they need to solve this issue, and they can't let Ty go and not bring somebody in. So I think you're hitting on the head. Like you, you got to have some plan at that position. Right. So it's less about for me. It's less about oh my god, you have to have Ty Hilton because he's so good. I think I think he's good, but it's less about that. It's more about hey, the position is just not where where they probably hoped it would be right now. I don't know that Michael Pittman is ready to take that step immediately. I think in the long term, I really like Michael Pittman and think he is going to be potentially a number one receiver. But, you know, can you say that right now? I don't think anyone's ready to go there. So um, so, so here's the deal. If T.Y. walks, you're going to have to replace him with someone. Are they going to go out there and get someone at the top of the market, you know, a Kenny Galladay, whatever that's going to cost. Given Chris Ballard's history, I see no indication that he does that. So you're now you're getting a second tier guy anyway. So if you're going to get a second tier guy, why not just keep your own, <laughs> you know? Right. Right. So, Who's happens to be the third leading receiver in franchise history, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's where I'm at with it. And then his, listen, his off the field contributions are, are legitimate. And I'm talking in the meeting room, um, and certainly just as a as an example for those young guys. I mean, those, those guys, are, I think, really bought into to modeling themselves after T.Y. Hilton. I think there's a lot of benefit in that. So he's grown into that role and taken it much more seriously, I think, in the last two or three years in particular. And and I think other guys have benefited from it. So so we'll see. So Xavier Rhodes, I mentioned him earlier. There's nothing happening there. There's not even really a lot of communication, apparently. And I get the sense that they're fine if he walks. And, and again, I'm like, okay, where are they at at this position, you know? Um, you know, in their defense. I don't know. This is the same approach they had last year. They cut Pierre Desir. It is. They didn't make a move early in free agency. And they found Rhodes on the cheap. And they got all kinds of value out of him. I mean, that was an absolute home run of a signing when you consider – how much they paid him for the value they got and the performance they got every Sunday. Now, this is something we talked about a while ago, and I want to get your thoughts on it. They don't value cornerback nearly as much as they do a couple other spots on this defense. I just, I just, until I see them yeah, go out and pay big money for a corner, I'll, I'll think differently. But as of right now, if I'm spending money and if I'm Chris Ballard, I'm giving it to a pass rusher. Pass rushers are so damn expensive because they're worth it. We saw what the Bucks did in the Super Bowl. One of those guys is, is going to be available in Shaq Barrett if he doesn't get a deal done with the Bucks. Um, I think they. If, I think if push comes to shove, they're going to spend their money on pass rush and not corner, and that might mean the end for Xavier Rhodes. It was just one year, but it was a heck of a year. He's going to want to get paid, and I don't know if the Colts are the team that's going to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, there's there's one corner on this team who's gotten paid. <laughs> and it's the slot corner. It's Kenny Moore. And and that's because that position is treated differently. So there's no question. I think you're right. I think they they see they, they put their money where their value is. There's no question. If you look at where the investment on this team is, it's pretty clear where their where their um, priorities are, right? So I mean obviously it's always gonna be at quarterback, so there's investment there. Uh, well, there will be once Carson Wentz is officially on the team. Uh, the offensive line, defensive line. You know, and then some isolated spots after that. So I think we can tell. But I, I think you are absolutely right about the edge players. Now, this works a little bit like 
like the draft has a couple times for the Colts. Um, so a couple of years ago, they had big offensive line need and what the Quentin Nelson was available to them, right? And then they end up getting Braden Smith. They had some good options available to them that lined up with their needs. Well, in this free agency season here, uh, I think the strength of this class lines up with the Colts needs too, and it's edge players. So I, I love this group. I mean, that's available. You mentioned Shaq Barrett. Um, Yannick Nguke is available. Um, you know, Bud Dupree, uh, Ted, oh, excuse me, Trey Hendrickson, uh, Leonard Floyd, Carl Lawson, who's not a big Uncle numbers guy in terms Detroit. of sacks. Yes. Right. There, cool. There's, oh, I there's really like, options. The there's options. Yeah. And if the Colts stick with their mantra of let's let the A players go and get their crazy dollars and focus on some value mid-level signings, there's those guys are there. There's a lot. There's a It's a deep yeah. class. And there's a little bit of I could see this guy being a Chris Ballard guy, at least from what I've seen and read and, and studied. There's no question. And I think the the first thing is the numbers in this group works in the Colts' favor. So it, it's already a buyer's market. Okay, we've already established that. So it's a buyer's market to begin with. And then here you have a glut of players. Now, a couple of these guys could resign, like Shaq Barrett. From talking to our, our colleague Greg Allman in Tampa, the Bucks really want to resign him, but they also uh, this week resigned Levante David. So I don't know whether that changes the equation at all. But uh, so you know, this may not be the full class when it's all said and done. But they're not all going to get resigned. Okay, some of these guys are going to make it to the market. So uh, so you've got a you've got a depressed market already. You know, to put on my economist hat, uh, because of the the salary cap decrease, and then you've got this what list of like eight or nine really good edge players who are available. This is like Chris Ballard's dream <laughs> because he's just going to do what he always does. He's going to say, "Okay, guys, I'll call you in a couple days." Yep, <laughs> and you know, and he's going to have choices. You know, it's not going to be leftovers necessarily. He's going to have choices potentially, and and these are good this players. Is right up his alley. And, and you got and this is one thing Chris always says is, why are they on the market in the first place? You don't let good players out in the market if you really value them. This is such a weird year where a lot of good players are going to hit the market simply because the teams can't afford to keep them because the salary cap decrease, right? We're talking $20, $30 million less to spend. That's two or three impact players you can't afford. These guys are good players. Aquara's good. Hendrickson is a 10-sack guy this past season. Now, he didn't do that his first couple of years, but he could be on the verge of, of really becoming a stud. You got Leonard Floyd. Bud Dupree has done it, although he's coming off an injury. And, I mean, if you watch the playoffs, Shaq Barrett was an absolute monster. He probably doesn't come to the Colts because he's going to be a huge contract. And the Bucks obviously want to keep him. But, um, like you said, Chris Bowe is going to be sitting back saying, all right, I've got some options. Yeah, I mean, this plays right into his hands. And, and I think the other thing that I like is they have done, this hasn't been the case at every position, but they have done a really good job of scouting and projecting which edge players work for their system. And they have done a really good job of that. And and I think there were even a couple of guys who maybe I didn't necessarily see the fit initially, and it ended up being a good fit. You know, Justin Houston being one of them. I mean, he was in a... He was in a 3-4 playing uh, stand-up outside linebacker. He, he came here and played with his hand on the ground and was great at it, you know. And I, I do think that you're worried about, uh, you know, further decline with Justin Houston, it, you know, keeping him beyond this year. So the Colts have to decide, 
where they stand on that in terms of bringing him back. But but even if they don't, I mean, they made a great projection there. Chris Ballard having some insight coming from Kansas City helped. But the point is, they've done a really good job there. I thought Autry was a great example. This is a guy who played several different positions out in Oakland when they were in Oakland, the Raiders, and came here and settled in at, at three technique for a year and then has played defensive end as well and, and been effective at that. So That was a big uh, they have Ed a Dodds good eye. push too. Remember, Ed Dodds, yes. he's, he's right there. And Ballard gets all the credit and the blame. But, you know, talking with Chris about a month ago, he's like, look, I got really, really smart guys around me. So um, two of the biggest wins the Colts have had this offseason – you're not getting to hear a lot about this, but they kept Matt Eberflus, which is huge, and they kept Ed Dodds. Both of these guys are, are not going to be with the Colts for much longer. We'll see. But to keep your assistant GM, who's been interviewing all over the place for GM jobs, and your DC, that's really important, too. It's something to keep in mind. Yeah, and I think and you mentioned Eberflus. He he actually, I think, has a big hand in, in, in doing some of these projections about fit, you know, scheme fit and in, in – uh, free agency, you know, in terms of who would and would not be a good fit for their scheme. So so he gets some credit here too, um, as well as Ed Dodds, as you said. So so I, I they have a good eye for this. And and that's why I kind of give them some benefit of the doubt. I think they can find some impact here. And and honestly, I mean, you watched the team last year just like I did. I think if they had some consistent edge rush, I think it would have made a huge difference in in their outcome this year. Uh, I, I thought there were even some times in the playoff game even where I was like, man, you know, they had a, a guy coming off the edge right now. They really could use some some help, you know, uh, right. to get after Josh Allen. So I, I just think they have a chance to come out of this as a better team. So that's how I see it. I think it's really obvious for me when you look at the defense. Like, you like so many pieces and, and you love the speed, but you got to go get a defensive end. It's really obvious. And I understand that's a hard position to fill, and it's a very expensive one to do. Um, but that's what they got to do. they got to go get some pass rush on the edge. You look at the middle of that defensive line, and you really like it for a long time. Grover Stewart's not going anywhere. Three-year deal. Buckner's not going anywhere. First-team All-Pro. You need some speed on the edge, and you just don't have a guy who's proven it right now. Ben Banigou, not there. Toure coming off the injured season. We didn't really see much of him. I like his talent. Still hasn't done it quite yet. you got to address that position. So for me, that's probably the first thing you do in free agency in terms of ranking what, what the biggest hole you got to fill is. With, with Houston out there now as an unrestricted, you got to do something at, at defensive end. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, just before we get out of here, I want to turn the attention to uh, your – Carson Wentz story, you know, and we, we haven't met Carson. We, there's so much we don't know, but you did make some effort to, you know, to get some, some background into, I, I thought, you know, who he is. And I think, I think you can glean a lot, you know, from those background stories. They don't tell you everything, but, but I do think we can glean a lot from those. Um, what for you were the biggest takeaways and what'd you learn? Yeah. So he's going to fit in here. It, it's just it just seems like it's a really perfect marriage in a lot of ways. It's funny I talked to Lucas Albers who played tight end with him at North Dakota State, and Lucas was like, "How'd you get this number?" And you know I couldn't really tell him. And he says, "You know I wasn't sure if I was going to talk to you." And then I and then I reached out to my buddy Joe Haig, who used to play for the Colts, and and luckily Joe Whoa. vouched for me. So um, 
And I remember talking to Joe about Carson. That's a good reference. Yeah. And and Joe Hegg's like the nicest guy in the world. Like literally, like not just NFL player, probably the nicest guy ever. Um, North Dakota loves this guy. Like I couldn't get these people off the phone. They love this guy so much. And it's not just because I'm a reporter. Like he's their, he's the chosen one out there, man. He's their prodigal son. Like they, you couldn't find a TV. His high school coach told me in the entire state that wasn't turned to every single Eagles game. I mean, he's, He's it for them. So um, they're very thankful that he's going to get a chance to restart with the coach he wants to play for in Frank Reich. But with Carson, it's it's not too complicated. He loves to get out and hunt with his dogs. He's very, very grounded in his faith. It's very obvious in his AO1 foundation, which is going to come to Indy. have had some conversations with his brother, Zach, about that. And, and really a fiery competitor who had to climb in both situations. As a high schooler, you know, his brother was the star, and he was a five foot eight, 120 pounder to start. He was not the physical specimen he is now. He had to climb, and he only really started 10 games as a high school quarterback. I mean, 10. Didn't get a lot of attention, went to North Dakota State, had to wait three years to play quarterback again. He was redshirted. Was, you know, this is a national championship team at their level. Um, had to wait again, and then really blew up as a senior. The Eagles made the move to go get him at number two overall. And we know what happened after that. But a fascinating guy. We're going to hear from him next week, it sounds like, for the very first time. And, and there's a lot of questions we want to ask, that's for sure. Yeah, I I actually agree with you. I, I think that, you know, he's been he's been characterized like the Eagles fans. Oh, my God. These people are blowing oh me up. Oh, my God. <laughs> my story Eagles mentions, fans. my Twitter mentions. Man, they are vicious. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay, like... They I, they are giving the Patriots fans a run for their money. Like they are into it. Okay, it's not going to stop hey, when the season gets no. here. It's not going to stop whether <laughs> no. he plays well or plays poorly. Oh no, no. So so anyhow, you know we've heard a lot from them. And anyway, the, the, it's been characterized like oh, he's petulant. Oh he he's you know he can't take competition. And, and maybe there's truth to all of that. I don't know. Okay, I wasn't there. I don't care. But here's what I can tell you though is. The toughness thing, I think, is real because this guy, first of all, he got sacked 50 times last year. OK, <laughs> start with that. All right. And and didn't ever walk off that field. That's start with that. OK, number one. Number two, uh, there's a lot of the things that you're talking about that you wrote about, excuse me, in the story, you know, having to, to fight through some injuries even in high school. You know, to to get that opportunity, yeah. to wait three years in college to get that opportunity, and and to be ready when it comes, that's hard. Okay, people think like that just happens. It doesn't just happen. You got to be ready for that. So I, I think you have to have some kind of mental fortitude to push through everything that he has encountered. Uh, it doesn't mean that he handled the situation well when he got benched. That's that's not true. I'm not saying that. Um, but I think you. I think both things can be true, you know. I think that maybe he didn't handle it great. That's fine, uh, but that doesn't mean that he's you know sort of sort of this you know mentally weak guy or something. I, I don't buy that because I don't see evidence of it, you know. So it's interesting though. No, nah, and, and and this is a telling quote from his former teammate Lucas Alvarez, who who played with him for five years at North Dakota State, and I mean the two of them painted houses one summer. I mean they're close. I mean they're very close. And this is what Lucas said. He said, without knowing the ins and outs of everything that happened in Philadelphia and all the bullshit he was working with, that's telling. For him mm-hmm. to be able to leave that behind and, and find a new chapter, he's going to have some fire in him. 
And, and I asked Lucas about the Colts. I'm like, what do you know about the Colts and why it would fit here? And he said, you know what's stun- funny is that tweet from Darius Leonard a couple weeks ago. And I know you saw it. And I know everyone out there saw it. Darius was basically just making a pitch to free agents being like, hey, guys, if you're going to come here, you're going to play selfless. It's going to be about the team. It's not going to be about you. It doesn't matter how big or little your name is. That's Darius to a T. And yep. Albers saw that and said to himself, this is going to work. Wentz is going to fit in. That's his type of team. You know, he said he's going to be a guy that's going to push guys in the weight room, push guys at practice, but he's also going to hold himself accountable. We'll see. I wasn't there in Philly. You weren't there. We don't know what actually happened. Um, but like you said a minute ago, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's behind him. He's going to get a fresh start in Indianapolis. All that matters now is what he has to do with the Colts, and that's go earn the respect of his teammates. That's the first thing he's got to do. That's what Philip Rivers did. That's what Buckner did last year. And now that's what Carson Wentz has to do. Yeah, I think that's basically the size of it. Um, and the other thing I would add is that I think that Carson, if you if you consider you know where he comes from and who he is, his background, none of that suggests that he's this high and mighty guy, too. You know, I I sense, you know, let's just look at his personality. I mean, he he's not a guy who wants to to be you know, splashed all over social media or, or any of that. I mean, that doesn't mean anything, but I think they're just little pieces to the puzzle, right? And he seems like a guy who is very comfortable just being, you know, sort of along for the ride. He does not strike me as the guy who wants to be the center of attention and wants to be the story or any of that. I mean, you are just by virtue of being the quarterback, but but the idea that he can't blend in here is – I. That doesn't add up to me, you know? No. So I, I no. question that. So. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to see how he is welcomed by his new team. It's already been yeah. really receptive. I mean, I got word late last week that there's a couple guys out in the West Coast, Jacob Eason, Bobby Okariki, Pittman. They're out there throwing, and word is Carson Wentz will be joining them as early as this week. That's telling, right? He's willing to go out like there it. to meet his new guys, and, and there's going to be some, some new receivers he'll probably have to get to know in the coming weeks and months as well. Um, maybe it's T.Y. Hilton, maybe not. But um, if you're Carson Wentz, you're all in right now in the Colts. This is your chance. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's going to be fine in in terms of the integration, and then the rest of it's up to Carson, you know, and and obviously to a lesser extent, Frank Reich getting him where he needs to be. But I I think the the football will take care of itself, you know, one way or the other. But certainly the the personality stuff and all, I'm honestly not worried about it one little bit. Yeah, listen to the Phillies or the the Philadelphia players that have come out and said stuff. I mean, a lot of them have defended Wentz and been like, look, I love playing with that guy. He was team first. Now, it's not been universal, um, but it sounds like things were pretty bad behind the scenes. When you have a coach and ownership and GM not on the same page, that's a mess for any quarterback. The Colts know a little bit about that from the past. Right, right. So, hey, look, and at the end of the day, the Colts have more insight than we do. They, they must because the because Frank Reich exists <laughs> and he has relationships. Right. Right. So you know he he knows every he knew everybody in that building. So you know he has a handle on what actually happened. And and I think more than likely we know how thorough he is. That has been thoroughly investigated. I am sure. Now what they found, we'll see. But but I guarantee you they have a very good handle on what happened and are comfortable with it clearly. So anyway, uh, that's the deal. I, I guess we'll have more to talk about here in a few days, potentially, <laughs> depending on what the Colts do, if they do anything. But uh, you know how they can be in free agency. But but we'll see. It's definitely a critical time. 
for the Colts and for all teams, we are we're going to go full steam ahead into free agency, and then it's it's draft season. So I mean, it's it's going to be what I guess a, a heck of a seven weeks or so here um, over March and April, and it's going to be busy. So stay tuned for all of that. Uh, thanks for listening. If you haven't subscribed, I know a lot of you already have. If you haven't subscribed, uh, please do. Uh, lots of specials always available at The Athletic. And uh, we've got big plans for covering uh, those upcoming events as well, uh, beyond just the Colts, but league-wide. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer, and this is 1% Better.